ushers are coming now in just a minute, and they're going to be handing you uh, a card. And uh, I want you to take a minute and look at that card uh, because it's going to give you a little bit more information about our community picnic that's coming up in just a few weeks now. So if you will uh, take a look at it uh, as you go home today, I just wanted you to have it as a reminder. Ushers, whenever you get them, you can just come on and start handing them out. Uh, but in just a few weeks, we're going to have a community picnic. And let me describe what that is. We'll have one 1030 service here in the sanctuary. So if you get here at 9, it's probably not the rapture. Can't make any guarantees. But if you get here at 9 and you're alone, you know, and there, maybe there's stuff being set up, we hope that all the people that aren't going to heaven are the ones that set all the stuff up, right? So uh, you come on at 1030. There are not going to be any life groups that day. We're going to be here uh, setting up, preparing, and getting ready to celebrate a great day. So here's where I need your help. Shelby County is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama. There are less people in a church service on any given Sunday in this county than the national average. It's lower. And so what I want to challenge you to do is to bring someone on that day with you who needs a relationship with God, who needs a home church, who, who needs a new start, who needs to start again. So I want, I want you to be thinking about your family members, your neighbors, your friends, uh, relatives, uh, you know, little league families that you kind of sit uh, on the field with during the games, people that you know in some way. Invite them to come and say, look, hey, our church is doing a picnic. we got games. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's kind of like an open house. We're going to be given all kind of opportunities. You will hear about our life groups. You'll hear about live streams. You'll hear about uh, 30 Serve, a water baptism, First Step. There'll be a lot of opportunities to get involved or to sign up for something if somebody wants to do that. Here's the biggest opportunity in the universe, though. We're going to be offering people an opportunity to pray and to receive Christ into their heart. Now, last Sunday, we had four people they lifted their hand and said, I, I want to pray and I want to ask Jesus into my heart and life. I just want to tell you something. There's nothing as a pastor that thrills my heart more than that moment right there. It is the miracle of all miracles. And I still remember when that miracle happened to me. And so in just a few weeks, this is what's going to be happening. You've got the card there in front of you. You can see... Uh, the event, the time, the date, all of this stuff. You can go online and you can see uh, the information we have on, on uh, our website. The community picnic banner's there. If you press it, it'll take you to a landing page. On that landing page, here's the other way that you can help. Uh, we're going to need a lot of people serving on that day. And so if you'd like to sign up to help us to serve, there's a table in the foyer. You can go uh, talk to someone about that, get more information about it. But also you can go on the website, push the I'd like to serve or serve button on the landing page of the community picnic, and you will see there uh, opportunities you have to serve. So uh, we need your help. It's time to mobilize. It's time to make a difference. It's time to be a light in the darkness. It's time to see people's lives changed. And so I want to ask you to help us to do that and be a part of it. Now here's what I want you to do. If you got your card in your hand, I just want you. Everybody got a card? Everybody got a card now? Yes? Yes? All right. Take the card, and would you just put it between, between your two hands like this? Would you just hold it like this between your two hands? You'd be surprised. 
the, the crazy and unique and, and ordinary and normal things that a supernatural God can use. Do you remember when Moses had a stick in his hand and God used that old stick to deliver the people of Israel from slavery into freedom? God can use anything if we give it to Him. Would you just close your eyes with me and hold that little card between your hands and would you just simply pray with me this morning and as people's names come to your mind, I want you to begin to pray for them. Lord, this morning I pray this little card would be a powerful and a mighty tool in your hand. Not only it, but me. God, I pray you would use me. I pray you would use each one of us. Lord, I pray that these cards, this information, this invitation by, by card, by Facebook, by, by cell phone call, by walking over and knocking on the door, God, I pray these invitations would serve as powerful, divine appointments and that you would birth many, many people in the kingdom of God and many would find there'd be great joy in this city because many people would come to know you. Come on, would, would you just pray for one minute with me? Just intercede with me. Say, God, make, make a revelation of light in the darkness. God, make a change in the climate of this city. Make a change in the mind, in the heart, in the marriage, in the family, in relationship. God, we pray for change in our city. And it starts right here with us. Use us for your glory and kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to thank you for joining us in that. Uh, and we're on the fourth message in this series, The Blessed Life. Uh, maybe maybe uh, you've had this experience. I think we all have at some point. You've had someone that's let you down, someone that you counted on to do something, to follow through with something, to show up at a certain time, to deliver something, to do something. How, how many of you have ever had anybody let you down? Oh, wow, you are so expressive this morning how many of you it's not a trick question have ever in the world in the universe in the planet had another human come here they come i'm still waiting on a few more ever 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 let you down yes all right good we're all together you've had that feeling it's frustrating when you count on somebody for something and they let you down. And it made me think, in our society today, claims are made all the time that over-promise and under-deliver. So I, I thought I'd have a little fun with you this morning and show you a couple of the um, uh, products that I've seen that uh, over-promise and under-deliver. So here's a swimming pool, and this is what the picture looks like on TV when you buy it. you got three kids and a full you know, adult mom there on the outside. And this is what the pool looks like when you unpack it out of the box. Anybody ever had a product like that? Right? Yes? All right, let, let me, let's do another one. Oh, yeah. Anybody remember this? This is the funniest to me, the funniest TV commercial I've ever seen. It's called Listen Up, as seen on TV. And he, when it's advertised, it says this. It's kind of like for deaf people that don't want to wear hearing aid, so they wear something that looks like a Walkman, so you can tell it's kind of back in the day. We don't really do Walkmans anymore. But it was supposed to enhance your hearing. Notice this. Up to 100 feet away. It's like Superman. It's bionic hearing. It'll increase your hearing up to 100 feet away. According to the commercial, you can actually hear the quarterback calling the plays out in the huddle from the stands. 
And that wasn't even the most ironic thing. It showed a guy at church, you know, now he can hear the sermon. And the very next scene was him looking out the window with the window open across the street, spying on his neighbor, eavesdropping on his neighbor's conversation at the mailbox. Anybody remember this? Are you kidding me? What is this? Spygate? You've got to be joking. Well, obviously it can't do that. All right, let me, let me give you another one. Oh, this is a good one. This product promises to reduce your body size. You've been wasting your time eating right and exercising. Just rub some of this cream on you every day and you'll shrink. Credible. Credible. Let's do another one. Oh, yeah, yeah. This cereal now helps support your childhood. Do you really believe there's a cereal in the world that will make your immune system stronger? I mean, it's like puffed cardboard with sugar on it. It'll make your... Really, it'll make your immunity. And actually, the year before this, this company also said that another one of their products would increase attentiveness by 20%. You actually proved that. All right, let me give you uh, one more. Here it is. Uh, shoes. See these shoes? Up to 8% increase in calorie burning, up to 29% increase in total muscle activation. These shoes will burn more calories than all the other shoes. That's why they're actually in the middle of a lawsuit. Because... They, they actually won't overpromise. One more. All right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is called the zapper. <laughs> uh, and let me tell you why it's called the zapper. Because it's a device designed to kill disease, uh, uh, disease-causing parasites. Parasites that are in your body that cause disease, it will kill them in the body with electricity. Like back in the day, we used to get this by pushing a friend into the electric fence, right? Uh, So we should be cured of everything. And the claim is it's effective in treating diseases like cancer and AIDS. (laughs) Let's just go for the small ones. Cancer and AIDS. Just shock it to death. Just electrocute yourself out of of your old body. So look, these are products that obviously overpromise and they they can't fulfill the promise. Uh, Do you know that our culture makes the same claim about money. It promises things it simply cannot deliver. It promises security. If you have enough money, you'll be secure. Uh, uh, significance. If you have enough money, you'll be significant. It promises an identity. You will be somebody if you have enough money. You'll be truly independent. You will never have to depend on another person for another thing as long as you live. You'll be powerful and you'll have ultimate freedom. That's what money promises. But look, money can't deliver those things. I don't know if you've ever do this. Do a Google search sometime of lottery winners. Like what happens to lottery winners one and two and five and ten years after they win the lottery, what happens to them? Look it up. You will see drug abuse and suicide and imprisonment and depression, and you will see a, the, the percentages, not everybody, but the percentages of those occurrences among lottery winners is dramatically higher than the average public, the, the, than the average person. Uh, I'll give you another example. The NFL. Do you know... How many NFL professional football players do you, do you know how, how long it takes for the, for the average NFL football player to be bankrupt after they leave the NFL? 
three years. The average NFL football player is bankrupt. The average. Within three years after they leave the NFL. And by the way, the average NFL player plays three years. So you're 22, 23, 24. You go to the NFL. You play to 27. By the time you're 30, you're bankrupt. Money promises things it cannot deliver. Only God can provide things like significance and security, and, and, and joy, and satisfaction. And the de- desire for wealth is in constant competition to, to, to be our God. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, let me, let me translate that in just simple vernacular. Money is the number one competitor for our heart. Now, in this series, we've been talking about the blessed life. We've been talking about the life God blesses. Uh, We're not saying, hey, look, if you give, you'll get rich. If you give, God will make you the richest person ever lived. It's not what we're saying. We're saying there is a life that God blesses. There is a life, there is a path, there is a way There's a direction that God blesses. Walk in that path and live the blessed life. So we've said everybody wants to live a blessed life, and there's a way to do that. So different translations translate this uh, phrase differently. Some say you cannot serve both God and money. Some say riches. Some say mammon. Some say wealth. Uh, it, It depends on which translation you read. Mammon really represents the system of the fallen world that stands in opposition to God and His ways. So, see, mammon's not a neutral force. It wants to rule. It wants to be in charge. Possessions want to possess you. You ever, you ever go by something, you see something very attractive that you really want, and you can feel the pull of it. You can feel the gravitate. You, know, you go by and you see a sports car. You go by the mall and you see uh, brand new clothes. Or, or you go by and see a new, a new piece of technology of some kind. You go by and see a beautiful house. You're scrolling on Facebook and you see people that go to exotic locations or do exotic things. And you begin to feel the pull inside your soul that says, why can't we live a life like that? When are we going to get to do something like that? Why can't I own things like that? Why, why, don't, why don't those things ever happen to me? And, 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 we, and you begin to feel inside that longing rise up in you. That is the allure. That is the pull of mammon. And, and why do we want it? We want it. Because we believe mammon's lie, that if we have it, watch, if we have it, we will have security, joy, independence, power, significance, and freedom. But you've got to to agree, we live in the richest society in the world, maybe the richest society in world history. And you've got to agree that if we are in the richest society in world history, then the spirit of mammon has worked its way through the very fabric of our culture. And mammon will even get religious. Sometimes mammon will speak to you and tell you, if you had more money, you could really help people. It's tricky. Never mind that Jesus never said that money was the answer. Money's not the answer to our problems, God is. You ever been under a lot of pressure? Like, you don't have to answer this out loud. It's okay to just answer this in your mind. You ever been under a lot of pressure 
and, and the circumstances around you are pressing in, and, and your thought, however you thought it, it might not have said it like this, but your thought was, I either need God to do a miracle, or I need a truckload of money. Right? I either need God. Now, now look, look, look how subtle, look how very subtle this is. I, I need God to do a miracle, or I either need a truckload of money, and it usually comes in the form of like winning the lottery or an inheritance or some, some, some money coming out of nowhere. Isn't it interesting how mammon tries to position itself as a substitute for God? I need God or this. Isn't that very much like the scripture when Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You see how it contrasts itself? You see how it throws itself up against God? It tries to put itself on equal footing with God. I need God to do a miracle or I need a lot of money now. The truth is we need God, period. Rich people need God. Poor people need God. Middle class people need God. Everybody needs God and no amount of money will ever take that need away. But money tries to position itself as the substitute or the opposite or an option from God. Now, don't get me wrong. Money in itself is not evil. One of the most misquoted verses in the entire Bible says, money is the root of all evil. Anybody read your Bible? That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love or the worship of, in other words, putting money before God, this produces all kinds of evil, the Bible says. What kind of evil does the love of money produce? All kinds, selfishness and greed and covetousness and lust and materialism and exploitation and lying. The reason we can't serve God and mammon is because mammon is the opposite of God. And as Jesus said, we love one and we hate the other. Both God and mammon are talking to us all the time. Every time we're trying to decide if we're going to buy something or not, God and mammon are talking to us. And we're tempted to go in debt. God and mammon are talking to us. We're praying about, do we give to this ministry? Do we give to this need? Do we support this missionary or not? God and mammon are both talking to us. But money in itself is not evil. It's neutral. It's a magnifier. I, I equate it to like the internet. You know, when the internet came out, everybody's like, oh man. That's evil. The internet's not evil. The internet just makes evil and good bigger and go faster. Like you have faster access to good things than you've ever had. You have faster access to bad things than you've ever had. It's a magnifier. And that's what money is. Money is a magnifier and a clarifier. It will increase what's already there. So money's not evil. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. It can send missionaries. It can help a friend in need. It can provide a ministry with the resources it needs. It can feed and clothe people. It can send the gospel to unreached people groups all over the world. This is why Satan fights so hard to distort and corrupt our thoughts about money. He knows God can turn temporal money into eternal fruit. Did you hear that? He can turn temporal money into eternal fruit. Let me show you where the Bible says that. Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, your heart is. So the question is, how much treasure have you stored up in heaven? See, money can do both good and evil. 
So you, you ever, you ever uh, hear anybody say, well, you know, that, that guy won the lottery, that guy got rich, or that guy did this, that, and, the, and, and it ruined him? You know, the, the money ruined him, right? So, so think about it like this. A guy named Harold, old Harold, country boy, works at a bait and tackle shop. I'm just making this up. Works at a bait and tackle shop, Harold. Worked there all his life with a meager income. Harold wins the lottery. What does Harold do? He leaves his wife. He buys a jet boat. He buys a sports car. He moves to Brazil. He lives on the beach. And, and, and he uh, finds a, a woman there to live with on the beach. And people look and say, you know what? That money ruined Harold. I don't think the money ruined Harold. I think Harold been wanting to do that for years. He just couldn't afford it. If you give evil people money, they will do more evil. If you give godly people money, they will do godly things. Money is a magnifier. It magnifies what's already there. It clarifies what's already there. So maybe the best way to think about it this morning is mammon is the, is the love of money. And mammon is evil and aggressive and possessions want to possess you. So if you have something to write with, let me quickly this morning give you, let me give you three or four ways to break, to break mammon off our heart. How do we break mammon off our heart? How do we break uh, the love of money? How do we break that that's so prevalent in our culture today? Now, one thing you need to know is it's not a once-for-all broken thing. You don't break it, you're, it's fixed, you're free, and you never have to deal with it again. In, particularly in this culture, uh, if not everywhere in the world. You will battle this battle all your life. And when you're not looking, it will creep in. And, and it will park itself in your garage or on, on your computer or somewhere, and it'll always seek to get in. It is one of the most prevalent ways the enemy uses to, uh, to undermine the work of God in our, in our present scene. And I'll show that to you. How do you break uh, mammon? Here's the first thing. Uh, you've heard me say this this month, and, I, and one more time I'll say it. Put God first in your money. The only way to break the, the, the connection to one God is to have a greater God. The only way to break the bondage of one master is to have a greater master. God is that greater master. You submit to him first and, and you will find the severing and the brokenness that you and I need from those connections. So why do we worship on the first day of the week? Why do we give the first 10% of what we have? Because in both cases, we're, we're living out our faith in a bold way saying, I'm not my own source. God is my source. I can rest on the Sabbath and trust that he'll provide. In the same way, I can give the first 10% of my income and trust that God's going to provide. I'm not stating uh, that my, my, I'm stating my trust in God in a bold way, but I'm also breaking the pull of mammon off my heart. See, God's solution to the spirit of mammon is tithing. Tithing is giving the first 10% of everything we have. So how, how do we give it? Now look, uh, this has grown in popularity, so I just want to throw these thoughts out there and give you some scripture for it because... Uh, I've, I've encountered uh, pushback, and I've seen these thoughts rising in uh, popular American society. So I just want to give some scriptural clarity on it. Here's the idea. Does God really care where you give as long as you're helping people 
and you're becoming generous. The common wisdom today is that as long as you're becoming a generous person and as long as you're helping people, it doesn't matter where you give. And, and, and I want to push back on that idea and give you some scripture on it. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are, this was when he was talking about the Apostle Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So you have the storehouse, you have the church. Look at Ephesians 3, 10. His intent was that now, Jesus' intent was that now in New Testament times, in, from, from the time Jesus was resurrected and went to heaven. It was his intent now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. But did you catch that? It was his intent that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, there is no other agency on earth whereby God intended, whereby Jesus intended to reveal his manifold wisdom. Furthermore, the church has the greatest potential on earth to change a person's life. It has the greatest potential to change a person's eternity in their soul. So God chose the church as his agent of ministering to the earth. So, so just one more thought. I, I, I bet you've never thought about it this way. I never had this thought till yesterday. The church is Jesus' legacy. What else would Jesus' legacy be? It's the 12 disciples that he gathered in. They became a little small group and a band of apostles. They begin to plant churches all over the world, and churches continue to be planted all over the world today. You are sitting here this morning. You were standing here today singing. You were lifting your voice and your hands up inside the wake of Jesus' legacy. Had he not died and rose from the grave, had he not sent his disciples to the upper room in Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, there'd be no church. You and I would be Gentiles, outside, looking in, still not in. You are part of Jesus' legacy this morning. So, so I just want to say this to you. If I'm going to put God first in my giving with 10%, does Jesus care I'm, where, where I get I'm just going to say he does. So giving to community service projects and compassion programs and little league sports, it's not eternal giving and it has no potential to change anyone's soul. It doesn't mean it's unworthy. It doesn't mean it's not a good cause. It just doesn't have any ability to change anybody's soul. So I, 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 I want to I uh, go straight at this one idea for a minute because I believe it's done a lot of damage in our um, culture today. There's so many people you'll run into out there that'll say one of two things. They'll either say, I would give, but there's so many scandals in the church. Or they would say, I would go to church, but I'm not going to go because the church only wants your money. And, and look, I'm not going to deny. <laughs> how, how could I? How foolish would it be? to deny that there are church scandals out there and when, when we find a good juicy one, we play it on, on the media over and over and over and over and over. And it's just, it's broadcast over and over and over. But you know what's not played over and over? 
Do you remember a few months ago when the racist killer walked into a church in Charleston and gunned down and murdered people while they were worshiping? And the leaders of that church and the people of faith in that community walked out and said, we forgive? That wasn't played over and over and over and over. That was like played once and then they shut the cameras off, they packed the vans and they drove to another town. Now look, I just, I just want you to ha- just think with me for a minute. It wasn't played back. But why? There is an agenda to discredit the church. And sometimes Christians and pastors and church leaders participate. Sometimes we in the church help discredit the church by our lack of integrity and by a lot of other things. But watch for a minute. Just watch. Put your discerning eyes on for a minute. But Satan uses every available means to discredit the church in order to undermine the work of God in the human heart. Yes, churches have scandals sometimes, but I bet churches have less scandals than the industry most of you work in. There are 350,000 churches in America. How many scandals do you know? There are thousands and hundreds of thousands that are walking in integrity and honoring God and doing the right thing and not cheating and not stealing. But you're not going to hear that on the news. Because the enemy is going to use every available means to discredit and undermine the church. Why? Because souls are at stake. If he can get people turning away from the church, I think that we underestimate the lethal intentions of Satan to keep people away from God. I wonder how many people in America this morning ought not to have been saved by this point, but they're not because the enemy has fully equipped them with, I'm not going to church because the church only wants your money. And it's become a shield to shut out the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart. Look, that's serious. That's damaging. The church only wants your money. God wants your heart. But, But look, the issue with money must eventually be resolved in order for God to have your heart. Now look, I've said it to you from the beginning of this series. Maybe, maybe you weren't here the first day we did the series. Here's what I said. If you're ready to take the tithing challenge, if you're not a giver, you're not a tither, and you say, what you're saying is ringing true in my heart and I need to start, but, but I'm skeptical, here's what I'd say. Then go tithe to another church. You're not going to hear that on the news either. Go tithe. Look, I've given every pastor on our staff the name of two churches in our city who I trust and who I think are doing good work. And if you want to email me, if you want to go talk to any of them, and you want to say, I want to start, but I'm skeptical, and I, I, I'm kind of skeptical of the motives here, uh, then help me. I'll help you. Because I want you to know the joy of having Jesus first in every area of your life, because I'm convinced that your life will be better when you put him first. And so, you can email me, you can talk to any staff, we'll give you the name. All right, here's the second one. First one is put God first in your finance. Second one, ask God to help you rightly relate to stuff. Ask God to help. You want to break the spirit of mammon? You want to break the allure? Ask God to help you rightly relate to stuff. The tenth tenth commandment basically says, you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. Covet means to set the heart upon, to set my heart on something. You shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. You know the New Testament word for lust? 
is almost identical with the New Testament word for covet. Lust and covet are almost the same word in Scripture. To covet something is to set our heart on it, but God has said for us to set our heart on Him. We are to set our heart on Him, and when we don't, either an attitude, watch this, of pride or poverty will emerge in our soul. So in other words, when we don't, when we don't set our heart on God, we don't know how to rightly relate to stuff. And we'll either overshoot it or we'll undershoot it. So let me give you some examples this morning. So when you think about your life circumstances, pride says, I deserve more. Poverty says, I feel guilty for what I have. Gratitude says, I'm grateful for what I have. Uh, Here's another one. When someone says, hey, you have a nice house. Pride says, we're going to build a bigger one. Poverty says it was a foreclosure. Gratitude says, thank you. When someone says, that's a nice suit, that's a nice dress, those are nice clothes. Pride says it was tailor-made. Poverty says it was half price. Gratitude says, thank you. When someone says, that's a nice car, pride says, I have three more. Poverty says, it's a company car. Don't go around telling people I bought that. Gratitude says, thank you. Pride wants people to believe that we paid more than we did. Poverty wants people to believe we paid less than we did. Gratitude doesn't really care what people think. Gratitude's grateful for the opportunity given by God. It's just grateful for the opportunity to prove ourselves faithful to Him. All right, here's the third one. Learn to rightly relate to stuff. Put God first your finance. Learn to rightly relate to stuff. Here's the third one. You're going to say, didn't you already do that one? Become a giver. I want to differentiate this. Luke 12, 15, follow me in this story. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store the crops. In other words, bumper crop year. I got so much stuff, like my barn's full, and I got more coming. I don't know what to do with it. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn, I'll build a bigger one, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you've prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever, look at this, stores up things for who? Themselves, but is not rich toward God. What do I mean by become a giver? Uh, in, in 1995, I was sitting in a church service, and uh, I sat down by the pastor whose church I was at. I sat down by his, his older teenage son. He was maybe 19. And when I sat down, I just said, hey, man, those are nice shoes. And he goes, really? Really, you like them? And, uh, and, and I said, yeah. After the service, he came up and handed them to me. And I said, he goes, so what's that shoe you wear? I said, oh, about a nine and a half. He goes, oh, these are nine and a half. Here, you can have them. And I said, what? I, I'm not going to compliment anything else if you're going to get me stuff. You know, I don't. He goes, no, see, here's the thing. Those shoes have become so important to me, and I've become so proud of them, that the only way for me to live in victory over them is to give them away. So he gave them away. He said, I'm not going to let anything have my heart but God. And I went, whoa. And I've never forgotten that moment. I never forgot how powerful that was in my soul. If you, if you can't control... 
if, if it controls you, then, then somehow the only way to uh, be free of that is to let it go. It's like forgiveness. It's counterintuitive. The last thing we want to do to someone who's done something wrong to us is forgive them. But the only way to be free, the only way to break that spirit of bitterness is to forgive. The only way to break the control of stuff over our life is to give and, and to release it. Here's the last one. Become a good steward. Now, all through the New Testament, there are parables and principles about being a good steward. The most famous is probably Matthew 25. It's where Jesus goes and gives a, a, a bag of gold or a bag of talents, whatever it was, some money, a one amount to one guy, different amount to a different guy, different amount to a third guy. Two of the guys went out and, and worked with it, did good with it, increased it, and he complimented them. Then one guy went and buried his because he was afraid he didn't have enough and he was going to lose it. And, and Jesus called the guy who buried it out of fear wicked and lazy. So, so what stewardship has to do is with our view of life. Do you view yourself as an owner or a manager? Do you view your stuff and time and abilities and talent as it all belongs to God and you just manage it? Or do you know one day that God's going to ask you how well you managed? So the stewardship question is, how much, watch this, how much should I own? When is enough enough? How much is enough? See, the more stuff you own, the more you have to protect it. You have to buy insurance. You have to maintain it. You have to have it repaired. You have to have anti-theft stuff on it. And then it becomes, and then you ask the question, do I possess it or is it possessing me? So the stewardship view of life would be own only as much stuff as you can be a good steward of. And when you can't be a good steward of it, get rid of it. Let me give you a few uh, stats as our worship team's coming about the American uh, culture. There are 300,000 items in the average American home. 300,000 items in the average American home. 300,000. You go, no wonder I can't find stuff. 300,000. You, in a lifetime, we will lose 198,000 items. We will lose 190, you're like, I think I got 100,000 lost this morning. We will spend 153 days of our life looking for misplaced stuff. Does that sound like good stewardship of our life? In the U.S., there are five times more storage facilities than Starbucks. That's 7.3 square feet of storage space for every person in America. Remember what Jesus told the guy who didn't have enough room with the stuff he had? He went and built a bigger barn to put more stuff in for himself? Yikes. I wonder what he would say to us in America who have 7.3 square feet of storage for our stuff because it won't fit in our house, garage, or shed in the backyard. Wow. Wow. An annual income of $34,000 gets you in the top 1% of wage earners on earth. If you make 34000 according to a world economist, if you make $34,000 a year or more, you're in the top 1% of wage earners on earth. 99% of the people on earth make less money than you do. Wow. And then Jesus says in Luke 12, 
from everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be required. In every way that the world has to define it, we've been blessed. But that's not what the series is about. And that's not even what the question is about this morning. The question is, are you living the blessed life? We'll talk about it next week. Are you living the blessed life as Jesus defines it? It's not about how much stuff you have or don't have. Are you living the blessed life as Jesus defines it? So this morning, I want to pray with you. And here's what I specifically want to focus on. Just because we have a lot of stuff doesn't mean there aren't people in this room that have needs. There are a lot of needs represented in this room. There are a lot of people in this room this morning looking for a job. There are a lot of people in this room trying to figure out how they're going to pay the medical bills. There's a lot of a lot of people wondering how long they're going to keep their job. I, I was, as I was praying this week, I was reflecting on the years I've spent in ministry. I can't remember another season of life where I've been in ministry that there was more fear or more uncertainty or more panic or more worry than there is right now. And so I want to pray with you and I want to pray for the needs that you have. And I want to assure you of this. There is a life that Jesus blesses. And when you live that life, you live a blessed life. But I want you to know this morning that God loves you and He cares about your needs. He cares about every need you have, no matter how small, no matter how large. Do you know what the Bible says? That He's counted every hair on your head. He knows how many there are. He knows how many fell out. Every time a bird drops to the ground, He knows which one fell and He knows that it happened. He said, look, look at the fields. Look at all the flowers in the fields. Even Solomon in all his splendor wasn't clothed like that. And if God, if God will clothe the fields and watch over the birds and if he'll count the hair on your head, won't he, won't he take care of you? God will take care of you. James says we have not because we ask not. So I wonder what needs there are in your life this morning that maybe you haven't asked God about yet. Here's what I think. I think that God came to tell you this morning that He loves you. He is overwhelmed, completely in love with you. And He wants to meet your need, and He wants to help you, and He wants to touch you. And I'll tell you one of the biggest things He wants to do is He wants to break the fear, and He wants to break the worry, and He wants to break the panic. That's what the Spirit of God wants to minister in this room this morning. So I want to ask you to stand with me and I want to ask our prayer team to come. And I want to pray with you today. Every eye closed. Here's what I simply want you to do. If you have a need, if you have a need, God loves you 
so much and he cares about your name so many of you I've been praying with so you'll stop me in the hall or email me or something and say would you just pray man I'm looking for a job I, I'm trying to do this I'm trying to pay this off I'm struggling here and man I want to tell you something God loves you he is a provider he is Jehovah Jireh he meets our every need. When we were worshiping earlier this morning, when we said, hey, everybody just say, you are Lord of what? You are Lord of this. Man, your confession today is He is Lord of that need. So here's what I want you to do. Every eye closed. If you say this morning, I have a need. I need a job. I need provision. I need to pay those medical bills off. I need to make my monthly payment. But I, I don't even have... I've got testimonies this morning. I wanted to share with you about people who've seen incredible breakthroughs in their finances and I, we're just out of time but you're here today and you say I have a need, I'm battling with fear, I'm battling with worry maybe I don't have a need today but there's a need that's coming in my future and it scares me and I need God I need God, would you just lift your hand and say man that's me I got a need today. Hey, remember, you have not because you asked not. Is there a need in your life you haven't asked about yet? Is there one in your life you haven't asked about yet? Just lift your hand. Go ahead, I see it. Yeah, yeah, all, several, several in the balcony, in the back, in the front. I have a need. I have a need. I have a need in my life today. Can I tell you something? God loves you and He cares. You are not on your own. Man, it's so easy for us to say, God is for church, God is for Sunday, Monday to Saturday, i got to work it out by myself. And can I tell you, that's absolutely not true. God loves you and He cares about your Monday, and He cares about your work, and He cares about how you're going to make it, and He cares about your family, and He cares about your bills, and He cares about the struggle you're under, He cares about the burden, He cares about your family. You have a need this morning. Fear, worry, need, family, health. There's a need. I simply want you to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to sing in a minute. And as they sing, I want you to come. And then we're going to dismiss everybody. Lord, I thank you today that you are Jehovah Rapha. You are Jehovah Jireh. This morning as we've called out to you, I know you're present and I know you will meet our needs. So we look to you today, the author and finisher of our faith. You are Lord of everything. We thank you for it this morning. As the worship team begins to sing, lifted your hand. I want you to come now.